well, as I said, hello everyone. It is good to be back. It is um, uh, wonderful, actually, to be back and see your beautiful faces. And um, despite the announcement of this week, I, I trust you all know that um, I love all of you very, very dearly. And um, it's really nice to be back worshipping. I'm annoyed that I can't sing, but I'm not going to get uh, into that um, now. Um, a lot of people have asked how the last six weeks have been for me, five weeks of sabbatical leave, week of holidays. Um, yeah, sabbatical for me has been such a precious time and I'm so thankful for it. It's been a gift. And um, it, for me, it's a little bit like any time you really spend quality time with someone whom you love, uh, whether that's a family member, uh, a spouse, a, a close friend, um, when you spend that quality time, there's just something very precious about that and it gives you time to reconnect and to go deeper in relationship and to just enjoy um, being with that person. And so for five weeks, I've been able to enjoy being with God, uh, not just doing for God, but just being with Him. And that is a wonderful, precious thing that um, uh, was, was a gift. So I'm really thankful for that. Um, in regard to me uh, sort of finishing up in this role, there's a scripture that's been on my mind this week that I want to share with you. It's 1 Corinthians 3, 5 to 7. And the Apostle Paul says this. He says, What after all is Apollos and what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each one his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but only God who makes things grow. And I just think that's a great encouragement. That's actually God who makes things grow. And God, uh, uh, you know, has been growing this church. My, my greatest hope and desire, and I think I've seen this, is that I've seen people growing in faith. That's been the great blessing. But I, I'll be able to finish up knowing that it's actually God who will continue to grow his church and will continue to grow people in faith towards maturity, towards knowing him and walking in his love and grace. So my goal as I finish in the next, uh, what, eight weeks is to finish as strong as possible. Uh, there's a few parts to that. Firstly, um, I'm going to have a little bit more time on my hand because already um, some meetings are starting to happen. So the board met this week, but as they do the meetings related to thinking about what happens next and who replaces me and what the structure around that's needed, that's something that the board will need to do. Like I need to step aside from that part of that and I think that's important and healthy to allow them to wrestle with that. So I've got a bit more time. So if you want to hit me up for a coffee, just get in touch and I'd love to do that. That'd be great. The other thing is I've mentioned a few times about the idea of a, a child dedication being available for that and open to that and we haven't really had child dedications for a fair while. So between now and when I finish, I thought, right, I'm just going to set a Sunday and so uh, August 15th, Child Dedication Sunday. So if you want me to dedicate your child, your baby, your toddler, uh, maybe even your teenager if you never got around to it, um, you know, all ages, there's, there's no restriction, um, I would love to, to do that. And so 15th of August, if you're hearing that and that's relevant to you, uh, we're just going to have a Sunday where we set aside as a day to, to celebrate and do that. And then another thing that I would love to do if, if uh, there's someone who is, God's putting this on their heart, is, uh, is baptisms. We've had, over the last few years, so many baptisms in the night 
service. We've had baptisms in our youth ministry, which has been amazing recently. We've had baptisms at Verdun. Haven't had so many here. I know that's because lots of people have already been baptised in their life. But if there's anyone who hasn't, and, and, and that's on your heart, well, I would love to set September 5th as a possible day. Just naming a date. Um, there we go. Finish strong. That will be my last, uh, second to last Sunday. And, uh, well, we'll just see if anyone's uh, had that on their heart and would like me to baptise them. I'd love to do that before I finish up. The other thing I want to do before I finish up is preach. Um, I hadn't preached for six weeks. It felt like a long time. I preached the 9 o'clock service, so I've had my warm-up, and now I'm ready because 11 o'clock always gets the best message, but don't tell that to the 9 o'clock people. Um, let's uh, get into it. I'm preaching this, uh, this week from Lamentations. And I've got to say, uh, I haven't regularly read Lamentations. It's not the most, uh, in many ways, most of it is not, I would say, highly uplifting, and so coming back to preach, it's an interesting one to jump into. Uh, but this is the last of a, a short three-week series, um, which if you've been here, you'll be part of. If not, let me introduce it to you. Uh, the last couple of weeks, we've had uh, Nick preaching on um, Jerusalem's fall. So it's all around the story of the, the people of God, the Israelites, reflecting on and lamenting the fall of Jerusalem. So the first week was about Jerusalem's fall. Dave, uh, he got chapter 3, which is the middle chapter in the book, uh, and that was Jerusalem's hope. Uh, theologically, that's known as the good chapter to preach because uh, you get the, the joy part and the hope part, and I'm preaching uh, Jerusalem's restoration, chapter 5, uh, which you may think sounds like it's going to be a really uplifting passage. Actually, it's a fairly, um, it's a lament. It's a, it's, a, it's a passage with a lot of sadness and a lot of grief in it, as we will see. But uh, for those who haven't been part of the series, just to give you some background, uh, Lamentations and Lamentations chapter 5 uh, is, is a prayer. So this is a lament, uh, which is a, a, about people lamenting something painful and difficult. Uh, but this is also a corporate prayer. So just as we prayed some prayers before, this is a corporate prayer that they shared in. Uh, and it's also a poem. So you, when you read it, you don't see this, but it's actually highly structured. The uh, Hebrew alphabet had 22 letters, and so each of the chapters uh, was, apart from chapter 3, is 22 verses. And for most of the chapters, each uh, letter was an acrostic, so the first verse related to the letter A, started with the letter A, then the second one B, and C, and D, and so on. So it was this structured prayer which helped them memorise it. And uh, so that's um, that bit of background. But let's get into it, Lamentations chapter Five. Remember, Lord, what has happened to us. Look and see our disgrace. Our inheritance has been turned over to strangers, our homes to foreigners. We have become fatherless. Our mothers are widows. We must buy water, the water we drink. Our wood can be had only at a price. Those who pursue us are at our heels. We are weary and find no rest. We submitted to Egypt and Assyria to get enough bread. Our ancestors sinned and are no more, and we bear their punishment. Slaves rule over us, and there is no one to free us from their hands. We get our bread at the risk of our lives because of the sword in the desert. Our skin is hot as an oven, feverish from hunger. 
Women have been violated in Zion and virgins in the town of Judah. Princes have been hung up by their hands. The elders are shown no respect. Young men toil at the millstones. Boys stagger under loads of wood. The elders are gone from the city gate. The young men have stopped their music. Joy is gone from our hearts. Our dancing has been turned to mourning. The crown has fallen from our head. Woe to us, we have sinned. Because of this, our hearts are faint. Because of these things, our eyes grow dim. For Mount Zion, which lies desolate with jackals prowling over it. You, Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures from generation to generation. Why do you always forget us? Why do you forsake us so long? Restore us to yourself, Lord, that we may return. Renew our days as of old, unless you have utterly rejected us and are angry with us beyond measure. Wow, what a, what a passage. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that through your word we might learn something of the power of lament and that you might actually use it to actually bless us and encourage us and speak to us and change us in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, as I kind of read this passage, I'm reminded that every part of God's word is, is useful for teaching and for rebuking and for training. We, we hear that scripture, but it's so relevant. And i got to be honest, I hadn't read Lamentations in a long time. Of all the parts of the Bible, there's, it's actually interesting because there's parts that we read often and there's parts that we almost don't ever read and we, we sort of just, they're just there and you sort of scroll across them and, and you go to read them and, oh gosh, this is all pretty bleak. And so then you just don't really worry about them. But actually, I found there's so much in this. And I think there's something in this that will really speak to us today. So what is a lament? Well, a lament is a corporate expression of deep grief, pain, sorrow, and regret. Uh, a lament can be done individually or personally. So someone... You could lament something that's happened and experienced in your life or a circumstance. But a lament is generally, and typically in scripture, a corporate thing. It's, it's a thing a community does together or a nation does. And a lament is about the heart. It's not some kind of like academic thing or something people just read out. Laments are raw and they're real and they're often kind of like brutal in their honesty. And lament is an important part of scripture. Almost a third of the Psalms are laments. And it's interesting that people love to read the Psalms. And I think what draws people to the Psalms is the honesty of the struggle of people sharing about real life. That life is difficult and life is hard at times and there's pain in life and there's sorrow in life. And as we read the Psalms, we actually tap into the reality of what they are experiencing and it's real life. And there's something about lament that does that for us. Uh, in the prophetic books, uh, the, the major prophets and the minor prophets, uh, every single uh, prophet except for Haggai contains lament as part of um, the prophet uh, writings. And so it's an important part of the biblical text and yet... Lament is almost a lost part of our church. It's rare for us to lament, and I think we struggle to go there. In our songs, we prefer the, the sound of victory to the sound of lament. 
Lament can be awkward. It can be uncomfortable. It's kind of negative. We'd much rather hear the, the sermon of praise and victory and we're jumping out of our seat. Not that we do that because we're Baptists and it may look like dancing, which would get us into trouble um, this week. But we, we prefer that. We prefer the celebration of resurrection and the empty tomb. And so we should. We should celebrate that. We should love that. But there's times before you've got to stand before the cross and look at the suffering servant, Jesus on the cross. And our faith, if it's only celebration, victory, rejoicing, and doesn't also have this, this, this aspect of lament, of the pain, of struggle, we end up with an inauthentic faith. And we end up with a, with a church where, where everything's always got to be happy and everyone's always got to be up and it's always got to be the next celebration and next week's a celebration of this and next week we're doing this. And no one has any space or room or capacity or they feel excluded. And when they then suffer and struggle, they actually feel like they've got no place in the church. I don't know how many people have said to me, I don't fit in here because I'm going through hard stuff in my life. You know, Everyone else has got their lives together in this church, not me. I've heard that from people. Actually, not here, because I think there's something about the way we do church. Hopefully, there's a culture where that's not present. But in my previous church, I heard that repeatedly. And I think it's because there wasn't this capacity to lament. So um, so that's, a, that's the value of, of lament. So the lost art. This morning's about rediscovering the lost art of lament. And I want to put it out there at the start that part of the challenge at the end of this is that you might actually go home this week and consider writing a lament from your heart. That you might consider taking what you learned today and actually writing something, dwelling on it, reflecting. Because sometimes we hear a sermon and we go, oh, that was amazing or that was not so amazing or whatever. And we kind of go home and it's kind of left. But uh, this will actually take you into a space. And I actually really believe that there may be great power, whether it's a personal thing or a much larger corporate national thing to give people space to actually lament, to take them into that place. I think that would be really powerful. So let me highlight three key biblical elements of lament, what goes into a lament, and with each one why it's important. The first one is uh, facing, is reality. That's the first word, reality. Facing reality. Lament takes us into the place where we get real about things that are often difficult things that are painful, things that are sorrowful. As I said, our culture prefers to move forward, move beyond that. We're not a culture in the West that knows how to grieve well. But uh, lament takes us into that space. Um, for my, uh, for my, my parents, uh, you know, they say opposites attract. And my parents are a classic case of that. My mum is, is probably the ultimate optimist. Everything in her world, she loves positivity. She likes everything to be positive. And so she doesn't like to go really into the place of negative or lament. My dad is the opposite. He is a melan more melancholy character. He, he quite likes to be negative at times, or he seems to... I think he does, actually, yeah. And um, uh, so watching the football with my parents, if I sit down and watch a football game with them, let's just say we're watching the Crows and they're winning by 10 goals... My dad will spend the entire time talking about how amazing all the oppos opposition players are and how terrible the Crows players are. Oh, look at that player. He's got it again. Oh, we can't tackle him. What are we going to do about him? Oh, he's a wow, what an incredible player about the opposition. 
And about our flows, oh, gosh, he's dropped it again. Oh, I can't believe he's fumbled it. Oh, we're just terrible today. I'm like, Dad, we're winning by 10 goals. And, and then my mum's the opposite of that. Like that, I watched the Crows with her last week. We, the Crows kicked two goals for the entire game, the lowest score in their 30-year history. And she's like, oh, he's a good young player. Oh, I like what he did there. Oh, we'll be okay. We're going to be... Oh, my mum, this is, this is like we're getting thrashed. She, she doesn't like to go there. And so somewhere... Um, for mum and dad, if you're watching the stream, sorry, I'm just, you know... I am, ex- I am exaggerating slightly. But... But somewhere between my mum's optimism and my dad's pessimism is this incredible thing called reality. And I try and sit in that space of reality. And it's, it's uh, important to, be actually, to actually be able to be honest in life, honest about things that are difficult. It's important for our nation to be honest. Just recently, really only in the last decade or so, our nation has begun to be honest and face the reality of our past and we've not really wanted to go there and we started to we've got a long way to go but you can't really progress towards reconciliation as a nation if you just want to sweep the the past under the carpet and say well actually actually that happened a long time ago and I wasn't part of that and I treat people well and and I'm not racist and and therefore you know why should I apologize and Surely we should just move on and people should get get over it. It It's a long time ago, all this sort of stuff. No, no. A nation has to be willing to go there and lament and be honest and face its reality before it can move forward together into its future. I love the fact that a couple of weeks ago we we had Clyde Rigney come and share with us and I listened to that uh, podcast and um, he came and spoke about his story on the topic of re- reconciliation. And he spoke with such beautiful grace and honesty. And the, the whole point of it is we need to be willing to hear his story, and hear stories like that. Unless we're willing to hear the reality, we're never going to understand it and move forward. In Lamentations chapter 5, the people of Israel don't cover over the sins of their past, nor the brokenness of their present, they get real. And it is a terrible reality that they speak about. Their inheritance has been turned over to strangers. Their homes have been overtaken by foreigners, they say. They've become fatherless. There has been uh, murder and killing of many of the men in their nation. There has been this situation now where they're taken over and the few that remain are having to actually pay for their water and pay for the wood that actually belongs to them and should be theirs for free. And terrible things have happened. There's been oppression. They're experiencing starvation. There's been rape of their women. There's been murder of their men and women and their leaders. The destruction of the city of Jerusalem is symbolic not just because they've lost their homes but because in Jerusalem stood the temple and for them the temple was the way in which they encountered God and experienced him and came near to him. You see, if our church burnt down yesterday, we could still worship next Sunday somewhere. In fact, we could worship in our homes and in our cars on our own or in our small groups because we have the spirit of God within us and we have God with us and so we can worship anywhere and draw near to God because he's with us. 
But for them, the temple was the way in which you entered into God's presence and offered sacrifices for forgiveness of sin and all of that. And so that has been taken away, which for them is not just like loss of their land, it's loss of their relationship with their God. Where is God now? And so in the midst of this, they cry out, joy. I mean, these words are so powerful and it's so bleak. Joy has gone from our hearts. Our dancing has turned to mourning. It's interesting. It reminds me of that song. You turn my mourning into dancing. You turn my sorrow into joy. I'm going to read that passage. But it's not too often we'd like to sing a song in church that says, you turn my dancing into mourning. which is what this passage is declaring. And they're saying, why, God? Why and how long? That's facing reality. As, as a church, as a nation, we need to face reality. If we face reality, um, we might face the reality about the fact that um, our world is being continually, uh, which we were entrusted to um, be stewards of, of the creation, has been... Uh, is constantly being uh, destroyed and, and much destruction is happening and rivers are getting polluted and the climate itself is changing, all of that stuff. If we're going to face the reality about uh, our Western church, we might face the reality that we come here in comfort and in, in just a, such an easy way and with such freedom, but actually there's a persecuted church where people are being killed still today for their faith. And if we face the reality of the state of the church in the West, we might realise that we are far too passive and lacking courage and boldness and passion and our heart to see the gospel message go out and actually reach our community is perhaps not as passionate as it could be or should be. When we begin to name these things and face reality, it's the first step towards actually a healing. So that's the first reason, that's why we should lament. lament. The first aspect of lament is expressing and, and describing the reality of a situation. But after reality comes the next thing, which is reality leads us to repentance. In verse 7 in the passage it says this, Our ancestors sinned and are no more, and we bear their punishment. But it doesn't just talk about our ancestors sinned. It also goes on to say this, it says, in verse 16, the crown has fallen from our heads. Woe to us, for we have sinned. You know, when I was uh, at, at school, in, in primary school, starting out, um, I'm kind of old enough now that blackboards were a thing. Blackboards were used by teachers in the first maybe four years of my schooling before they were phased out and they brought in a new technology called whiteboards, okay? This is well before smart boards. We're just talking whiteboards. And so in the old blackboards, they used to have sitting on the, uh, alongside the blackboard a, a duster that the teacher would wipe off the... Does anyone remember this? Yes? And, and that would have little grooves in it. And so there was a trick you could play on the teachers where you, when they left the room, you could get the chalk, press it into the grooves, and they'd pick it up and they'd go to dust off the blackboard and in doing so, therefore, put fresh chalk all over the blackboard. Does anyone remember that happening? So um, that was really the height of uh, humour when you were about seven years of age. And so when the teacher left the room, I distinctly remember one occasion of this happening and everyone would be like, quick, someone put chalk in the, in the duster. And so we'd try to find out, coax someone into doing it and then some... 
uh, poor sucker would be coaxed into doing it, and so they would do it, and, and then the teacher would come back in and go to dust the blackboard, and we'd all crack up laughing because chalk was going everywhere. Then the teacher would be like, right, who did that? And of course, everyone would be like, that kid over there, and, and dobbing the poor kid who... But, but who was responsible for it? We all were. We all shared in it. And many of our corporate sins, are, are it's, we often want to look and point the finger at another individual. But often it's things that if we're part of a nation or if we're part of a community, we share in. And we need to be willing to share in them. Uh, the, in the... For about a year, um, when I just started going out with uh, Mel, we, we attended uh, her father's church where he was a pastor. It was a Lutheran church. And in that year, I had never repented so much um, because every Sunday, I mean, I, not that I had this sudden um, run of bad, bad things I was doing, I had to keep repenting, but, but on Sunday, corporately, every Sunday, we would repent as a congregation. And it was never an opt-in. It was never like... If could those who have sinned this week stand up and, and we'll go through this corporate repentance, it was like it was just the assumption that you know you're a loser and you probably sinned. So um, no, just joking. Um, it was just part of the deal. It was like, hey, we're we're a sinful, broken people, and it's time corporately to actually declare that in thought, in word, in deed, in things done, in things we should have done but haven't done. We've sinned. And so we come corporately and we declare our sinfulness and we ask for God's forgiveness. And in the Lutheran tradition, the minister can then declare the people uh, forgiven. Very interesting thing. There's not many spaces in our church where we publicly repent on a regular basis. And so there's a power as part of lament in repentance. But then there's the third thing. Uh, lament doesn't leave us just in that space of declaring pain and sorrow and, and wallowing that. It doesn't even just lead us to the place where we repent. It actually takes us to the third place, which is the cry for renewal. In this scripture, the third part of it is seen in verse 19, where there's this wonderful declaration, and this is the hope in this chapter, which seems so hopeless. You, Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures from generation to generation. It's like even in the midst of our declaration of our pain, our suffering, and, and the, the acknowledgement of our sin, we recognize something else, that God continues to reign. And therefore we cry out, restore us, Lord, to yourself. And I love in this, the cry is actually not restore us to our city, restore us to our land, Restore the temple. It's just, it's restore us to yourself, Lord. That's the great cry. Restore us to yourself and renew our days as of old. Repentance, no, re reality leads to repentance. Repentance leads to a cry for renewal. And the cry for renewal, the promise of Scripture, is it will lead to God's restoration. Because our God is in the business of restoration. I love um, the, the Scripture from... Isaiah 61, which Jesus took it in his first sermon and spoke these words. He said, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captive, release from darkness for the prisoner, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the day of vengeance or of justice of our God, to comfort those who mourn, to provide for those who grieve in Zion 
to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Even when you have the spirit of despair, he says, this is not how things end for those who trust in God. God is always going to bring a work of renewal and restoration for those who trust in him. And sometimes that's going to be something we, we, we see in our lifetime and sometimes that's going to be something we don't see until eternity. But God will restore and God will renew. And no matter what happens, God is reigning now and he will reign forever. So if you are in a season of dryness spiritually, if you are in a season of grief, if you are in a season of confusion, if you are in a time of anger, if you are in a season of pain, there is something solid for you to hold on to. There is someone who is holding you secure. You are fixed upon a solid foundation in Jesus. There may be every reason to lament and there is a power in lamenting. But in lamenting, there must always be the cry for renewal because the Lord is still king and he still reigns and he is a power, powerful God and he is going to bring renewal and restoration. Hallelujah. Would a different kind of church say, Amen. As it says in the very last chapter, the very last part of Scripture, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem. They're praying here in this passage for the restoration of Jerusalem. And in the very end of Scripture, we see the ultimate restoration of Jerusalem that will happen. It's still to come. I saw the holy city and the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people. and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. It is a powerful thing to lament, and we should go there. And we should lament injustice, and we should, we should lament suffering, and we should lament sorrow, and we should lament the brokenness of our world, and the brokenness in our world, and the brokenness of our church, and the brokenness that's in our church, and the sins of the past in our church. And we should lament all these things. But we do so in the knowledge that God is a God of restoration and renewal. A few months ago, by coincidence, uh, I was at the Baptist uh, Pastors State Conference um, and the speaker was a guy named Graham Hill. And he happened to speak about the importance of lamenting. Um, and as part of that, he shared a lament for Australia. Um, Graham is a Bible college lecturer, got Bible college principal over in Melbourne and a writer. And um, he shared a lament for Australia. And um, I guess at the start I said about uh, writing a lament, and one of the best ways to do this is to actually use chapter 5 of Lamentations as a framework for that. And that's exactly what he's done in his lament. He used that, and you'll see some of the verses repeated, uh, and the framework certainly followed very closely. 
and um, it's a great way to do it. So I'm going to share with you, as I finish this morning, a lament for Australia. Remember, O Lord, what has happened to us. Look and see our disgrace. Our nation has ignored and denied the inheritance of ancient cultures, the desert, freshwater and sea peoples who lived here for 60,000 years. Over 500 Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander nations have been displaced. Lands and children have been stolen. We ask for recognition and basic human rights, dignity and freedom for all Australians alike. Those who pursue us are at our hills. We are weary and find no rest. We submitted to those who introduced new diseases, forcibly acquired lands and thrived on violent conflict and colonisation. Our ancestors invaded this beautiful land and are no more, but we, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders and non-Indigenous people, together bear the shame and enmity and suffering. Slavery, colonisation and invasion oppressed us. And we cried out for freedom from their hands. We get our bread at the risk of our lives, young and old, are imprisoned and forgotten. Our skin is hot as an oven, chained, beaten, imprisoned and murdered in the blazing outback sun. Colonisers have violated women since Australia's earliest days and we mourn stolen generations. Children and adults have been hung by their hands, murdered, driven off cliffs. Elders are showing no respect. Children and youths are in our jails, separated from culture and family. Mothers are in refuges or out on the streets. The elders still speak, but our nation does not listen. The dream time continues to show our nation another way. <coughs> Joy is gone from our hearts. Our dancing has turned to mourning and lament. The crown of colonisation and cultural superiority has fallen from our head. Woe to us, for we have sinned. Because of this, our hearts are faint. Because of these things, our eyes grow dim. For Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, with loan sharks, drug dealers, corrupt officials and others prowling about us, you, O Lord, reign forever. You live among Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander nations and among non-Indigenous Australians on this beautiful and sacred and ancient land since time immemorial. We witness the vibrancy of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures, your presence in art, music, languages, beliefs and practices. Restore us to yourself, Lord, that we may return. Renew our days as of old, unless you have utterly rejected us and are angry with us beyond measure. Restore to us a heart of flesh. Rid us of our heart of stone. Restore in us a desire for justice and truth, a desire to see all people restored to their places and lands. Speak to us through your spirit, present in the voices and cultures and desires of ancient and modern peoples. Rid us of one-sided or superficial calls for reconciliation and lead us towards true lament and repentance and justice. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.